Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There kind of comes a point in almost every offseason leading into the college football campaign where I think pretty much every opinion's been expressed, right? You've got, you know, the positive take on this guy, and then once that's been done, the only thing left to do is to go about face and start tearing down the guy that was once built up. And by the time you get to August, I mean, it's just all been said, and it's been reheated and and, and re-racked and rerun, and there's just no hot take left to give. They've kind of all been given in every direction, counterposed to each other. It's just time to play the games and kind of find out who's right and who's wrong. And I think there's an example of that today. I'm going to show you two very different opinions involving Georgia quarterback JT Daniels, and I'll talk about I guess what I think about both these opinions, obviously, but we'll also kind of address here what we don't know about Daniels going into what is clearly a very important season for him. He'd like to be an NFL quarterback for some time to come, and he can certainly put himself in a great position to be a first-round pick with how he plays this year. But beyond that, so much of the Georgia hopes, it would seem, rest on the shoulders of Daniels this year. Georgia has seemingly been a quarterback away so frequently when it comes to winning a national championship that now JT Daniels, given what he showed a small window a year ago, given the accolades that he have coming had coming out of high school, given the fact that when he transferred to Georgia, he did so with a lot of fanfare having been at USC, that this seems like it could be the kind of guy who satisfies what has been a big need for Georgia, that big-time quarterback. There is a lot resting seemingly on the shoulders of JT Daniels. However, not everybody thinks that he'll make good on that potential for the upcoming season. Pro football focus, and we say this all the time, different people have different opinions about pro football focus. Frankly, different people have different opinions about almost everything in the media. Not everything is everyone's cup of tea. And to those who pay attention, some people just don't quite you know, love PFF for a lot of uh, reasons, but they are a very loud voice in the football space credible you can decide for yourself certainly a very loud voice when it comes to some of these kinds of things and one of their writers Anthony Treesh was writing about big question marks for the top national championship contenders and when it came to Georgia which is obviously on the shortest of short list for national championship contenders for the upcoming year Treesh put the spotlight squarely on JT Daniels in terms of the big question facing Georgia here this year Treesh apparently is not much of a fan of Daniels let me read you a couple of sentences when I post the show later on today I'll put a link to the full commentary because it's actually fairly detailed but I can't like show you the whole thing we don't have six hours to do this so let me just give you a couple of sentences here tree shriding of Daniels that he certainly has the arm to hit go-to balls along the sideline or I should say go balls along the sideline and takes his downfield shots but listen to this from Anthony Treach. Temper any hype of him leading Georgia to a national championship. His four turnover-worthy plays and his sub-50 grade in the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati, the only, quote, great defense he faced in four games last season, backed that up. Once again, that's Anthony Treach from Pro Football Focus saying on the basis of what happened in a bowl game against Cincinnati, that proves that JT Daniels isn't a national championship-winning quarterback. He isn't a Heisman-caliber quarterback. That he had too many potential turnovers against the Bearcats defense a year ago to make any of that true now let me say a couple of things about this I don't think Daniels played great in the Peach Bowl I really don't I think that's probably fair to say uh do I think that obscures what he did in all the other games for Georgia this past season when he got a chance to play I probably don't but if you want to say that it was not a perfect game for Daniels in the Peach Bowl you could say that if you want to say there were moments in that game that he would like to have had back I think you could say that there as well that's all fine and good and If you want to say that it is unknown right now how good Daniels will be for the upcoming season, I'm kind of right there with you on that too. I mean, it's it's one of the things we talk about a lot, right? It's like, and this is one of the things that I think for some people can make the offseason a really maddening thing. Obviously, there are plenty of reasons to believe that Georgia could be as great as every dog fan dreams about, right? They could win the national championship. They could do all of that. I mean, you are not lacking in evidence in suggesting that is a possibility. Of course, that's true. But at the same time, I mean, a lot of that does rest on Daniels and 
you know, as uh, the guy at Pro Football Focus kind of also talked about, there, there's still a lot about him we don't know. Small window of performance against uh, as quarterback at Georgia. Go back to his time starting as a freshman at USC. That wasn't necessarily great based on the metrics you want to look at there. There's a chance had he stayed in L.A., he would not have been the starting quarterback anymore. Keaton Slovis possibly overtook him for that job. Those are all things that, you know, guys like Anthony Treesh have brought up. And to agree, that's possibly true I mean I can't guarantee you I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be willing to stake my reputation my career my home my mortgage I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be willing to put all of that on the table to guarantee that JT Daniels is going to go out there and perform at the at the top end of his projection for the upcoming season I'm just like all of you we're all in the same boat on this we're very curious to see if what is a possibility actually ends up coming true the guy at pro football focus seems to be betting against that right now uh, until we say it, see it play out, you can make a case. That opinion is, I guess, just as valid as any other. However, it's important to note that as we get into these final days, though, before the start of the season, that it's not all negativity around uh, Daniels. In fact, you know, the pro football focus guys may be the only ones really saying that because other respected voices are out there touting Daniels as loudly as ever as we get ready to start the year. And it's very interesting to see how Two people can look at the same data set and come up with such wildly different opinions. Uh, Anthony Treach a moment ago saying that he didn't think Daniels could be a national championship winning quarterback on the basis of just one game. Talk about small sample size and getting obsessed over you know a tiny glimpse of data. Uh, that's a lot of weight being put on a peach bowl performance from Daniels. On the other side of this, though, there's a guy named Chase Goodbread who... You know, I, I think it was a pretty plugged-in writer. He writes for NFL.com. He used to cover the SEC a long time ago. Now he kind of covers college football players from a draft standpoint for NFL.com. He's been on our show a couple of times before. I think he's a pretty sharp guy. Looking at the same data that Anthony Treesh looked at, the four-game sample size for, for Daniels at Georgia a year ago, uh, Chase Goodbread comes to an entirely different opinion on this. This, ironically, published almost the same time that the Pro Football Focus piece was published. Here is uh, Goodbread touting, uh, touting Daniels, the Heisman Trophy, and the National Championship, and everything else. And what Chase writes for NFL.com is, is that JT Daniels is a proven starter at two different Power 5 programs, entering his fourth season as the top quarterback in the SEC. Uh, this is Goodbread, who's not, you know, like some duller. I mean, he's, you know, a pretty plugged-in smart guy, uh, basically taking the the exact opposite opinion of Daniels that the pro football focus dude took. He goes on to say that his play last year, four wins and four late season starts and a 10 to two touchdown interception ratio led some Georgia fans to wonder why he didn't take over the job sooner. So isn't it very interesting that there are such different opinions regarding uh, JT Daniels? Chase Goodbread, who calls him the best quarterback in the SEC. Anthony Treesh, who says he's a quarterback who wasn't even really good enough to beat Cincinnati. Just lucky that he was able to get that done. At least that's the insinuation that seems to come from there. Now, obviously, if you're a Georgia fan, you're kind of left to wonder, well, what do you do with all of this? Uh, you know, what do you, you know, what, what do you make of all of this? And, and, and I guess here are a couple things I'd say about this. First of all, I do think it's interesting that Goodbread mentions the touchdown to interception ratio for Daniels last year. And it kind of goes back to what uh, the pro football focus writer was saying there as well of, well, he may have only had two uh, interceptions, but he could have had more. He had turnover worthy throws against Cincinnati. And that may be true. I mean, I think there's a chance that for this upcoming season, Daniels may throw more interceptions than some of these quarterbacks in recent years who just haven't thrown very many. Guys like Joe Burrow and, and Mac Jones, Justin Fields, you know, that, that, you know, for the most part, avoided interceptions. I, I've told you this before because I've had smart people tell me this themselves, that, you know, measuring interceptions too much can be kind of a waste of time because if we only judge quarterbacks by their I guess, ability to avoid mistakes. Sometimes that's also not rewarding the quarterbacks who are willing to kind of throw a football into a tight window, take some chances every now and then. If the Georgia defense is going to be good, uh, then why not put that strength to the test every now and then by allowing your quarterback to go out there and take some risks? I'm more interested in counting the good throws that JT Daniels makes more so than I am counting the bad throws that he avoids I can live with a couple of interceptions in other words if it leads to more touchdown passes thrown that's the one thing I have said about Daniels based on what he did in four games for Georgia a year ago that the passing yards if you extrapolate that out for a full season looks great completion percentage actually looks really pretty strong there as well but you'd like to see Daniels throw more touchdown passes in fact 
if you want to zero in on that Clemson game, one of the ways that you can really determine what the outlook for Daniels is the rest of the year, the points that Georgia scores, do they come through the air? Is Daniels striking in the end zone on those touchdown throws? If he is, that could be quite a signal for the rest of the season. But in the time that we have left, let me make just a kind of slightly different point, though, when it comes to all of this. I think that there are going to be these wild opinions about, you know, guys like Chase Goodbread who say the sky's the limit for JT Daniels, and there are going to be some doubters there as well, like the guy from Pro Football Focus. Ultimately, we can't really know which of those two opinions is right. Either one of them might end up somewhat being right, and anyone who's expressing that opinion can't know for sure how good Daniels truly is. But this is one of the things that matters to me. It's Kirby Smart's opinion. And in the case of Kirby Smart, I think we've seen a couple of things from him over the course of this offseason that show that he has an opinion of Daniels that is a little bit different than the opinion that he has seemingly expressed about his other quarterbacks since he's had this job in 2016. And we've talked about this a lot before, that Kirby Smart has always been very slow to name a starting quarterback. And at times, he hasn't really named a quarterback at all going into the start of the season almost trying to avoid that question and not proclaim anyone to be his starting quarterback did that in 2020 kind of done that in 2018 even to a degree in you know kind of 2017 sort of doing some of that kind of stuff certainly in his first year in 2016 just kind of going out of his way not to name a starting quarterback but way back early in the calendar year of 2021 you know around the time the start of spring practice he makes the appearance on the atlanta radio station 680 the fan and you're talking about the opinion of daniels that matters the fact that smart in that small sample size a year ago saw enough from daniels to go on an atlanta radio station and say what he said then this is the opinion of jt daniels that truly matters here's kirby smart from march is there a true competition for the quarterback position going in to both spring into the season or is this jt's job well, it's JT's job. He's played the position. He's really on top of it. He's doing a good job in our offense. But it's not to say that we're not giving the other guys a look. I mean, Stetson Bennett is a, is a good football player, and we think he's very athletic. He creates a different dynamic. Carson Beck is a guy we've always thought a lot of. He's, he's a really good passer, and you know, he he didn't get the benefit of a spring practice. He didn't get the benefit of doing anything in college football. That now he's getting a ton of reps, and I think that's big. And then Brock is here with us, and he's very athletic, and he's done some good thing so every guy is going to have an opportunity to play across our roster but uh, JT is a guy that's proven himself and we hope he continues to do so and he brings about the the kind of best assets we have in our offense which are some of the wide outs and some of the skill position guys we've got to be able to use his strengths to get them the ball so kind of a long quote but the beginning and the end you hear what matters from Kirby Smart he says JT's job it's JT's job JT has proven himself If Kirby Smart truly believed what the pro football focus writer said, which is that Daniels played recklessly against Cincinnati and had four turnover-worthy throws, my guess is that Kirby Smart actually wouldn't proclaim JT Daniels to be the starting quarterback before spring practice even began. He's got some options he could have potentially considered. Five-star like Brock Vandegriff, guy who's been in the program now for a year in Carson Beck, who's actually drawn some some praise here as of late for how he's developed over the course of the time he's been at Georgia. If If Smart had any questions about JT Daniels, he could have just pretended this was still an open competition. The same way, by the way, that LSU, and now that now Miles Brennan's hurt, but the same way that LSU has kind of held its competition open during the offseason, even after Max Johnson stepped up and played well for the Tigers at the end of last year, Kirby Smart could have called this an open competition at the start of this season if he wanted to, but he didn't do that. So is the pro football focus guy right or not? We don't know, but we can take Based on Smart's own words, we can take to understand that Smart doesn't believe what the pro football focus guy said. Otherwise, he wouldn't have proclaimed Daniels to be a starting quarterback at the beginning of the calendar year because that's not typically the kind of thing that Smart does. Furthermore, when it comes to the confidence that Kirby seems to have in JT Daniels, he expressed that very clearly when it comes to SEC media days just the other day. Once again, Smart chooses his words carefully. The fact that he's open in speaking about how comfortable he is about Daniels, to me, that's an opinion that matters and probably matters a lot more than media guy's opinion does. Here's Kirby from just a couple of weeks ago. I'm excited to see what he can do this year. I think his growth has been more physical than mental. Although you're always growing as a quarterback mentally because you get experiences, he's a guy that's played a lot of football between high school, USC, and our place, but he's gotten his knee in better shape. He's gotten uh, more mobile and can move a little bit, and I think he's got a lot more confidence, and he's got a better relationship with the players around him. I mean, let me just be very, very succinct about all of this. 
obviously I can't guarantee you that JT Daniels is going to have a great season. I can't guarantee you that by the end of this year, the guy from Pro Football Focus might not have a chance to say, see, I told you so, the the numbers backed it up, that Daniels wasn't going to be a great quarterback. I can't guarantee you that won't happen. But as a fan, someone who cheers for Georgia and wants Georgia to win, the fact that Smart is showing an uncommon level of confidence in his quarterback, saying things about him going into the start of the upcoming year that he hasn't always said about his quarterbacks in the past I kind of take that to be good news and I kind of take that as a little bit of a hint that by the end of the year Georgia fans may uh, feel pretty good about what JT Daniels does uh, this season for the Bulldogs my name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia and glad to have with us no matter how you get to us today live on video 10 a.m. Facebook YouTube Twitter Twitch also right there at the top of the page uh, there at dognation.com. By the way, we've got some really fun stuff coming to our platform on dognation.com, some stuff we've never done before. I'm really excited about doing this in the days to come. We'll be telling you more about that. But for those of you that are tuning in, watching it right there on dognation.com, really appreciate you being there for that. Of course, radio on Athens Sports Radio 960, the RAF podcast form, Apple, Spotify, everything else. However you get to us, thanks for being with us here today. Big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. That's the solution that you should turn to for any foundation or waterproofing issue you might be dealing with. ESOG is a solutions-based company. What that means is is that they really dedicated themselves professionally to solving those kinds of problems for you. Now, when it comes to water creeping into your house, basement, garage crawl space whatever else or those cracks you see in your foundation believe it or not sometimes these things are just simple fixes and that'd be the case they'll tell you about it but also sometimes when it comes to the structural integrity of your home it's a a little bit more of a substantial fix there as well. All the more reason to have Engineered Solutions of Georgia doing great work for you because they've got two full-time engineers on staff, smart people who really know all the ins and outs of what kind of keeps your home standing and waterproof and all the things that we need it to be, those of us who enjoy living indoors. These are uh, in, in important things, and ESOG can help you out with all of that. They're also proud partners of UGA. That makes them fun to do business with. Longtime friends of ours here at Dog Nation Daily and Nothing I appreciate more than those of you who've been so supportive of those who've supported us. I'm greatly appreciative of that. And so my advice to you, if you see something that you uh, need to have seen about, well, Engineered Solutions of Georgia is the one you turn to for foundation waterproofing needs. Give them a call. 678-ESOG now. Dial that number. 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right. We'll get Connor Riley here coming up in just a moment for a Kroger Fresh Take today. A lot to do with the dogs as they get ready to start practice later on this week. But for now, let's go around the doghouse. It's uh, presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And obviously, there's a lot going on at the moment when it comes to UGA recruiting. Georgia got a commitment yesterday. Three-star wide receiver out of the state of Texas. His name is Dylan Bell. I'll show you a very nice edit on social media to celebrate that. Oh, by the way, great job by Dog Nation. Also had a great edit for that there as well. This is the one that Dylan shared on his own uh, Twitter feed there. So good-looking stuff from Dylan Bell. And the comparison we made yesterday is, and this is probably an obvious comparison, but given the buzz that a guy like Adani Mitchell earned during spring practice this past year and the praise that he's kind of gotten on the heels of coming to Georgia – you kind of feel like Dylan Bell could potentially travel a similar path there for UGA. At least that's what you're hoping on this. I mean, I, I, listen, here's the thing I've got to be honest about. I get accused all the time of being like this big stargazer when it comes to recruiting, right? Always fixating on the four-star recruits, the five-star recruits. And I can't pretend that I haven't spent a lot of time doing that. So to act like none of that stuff matters now would be disingenuous. I'm going to really try hard not to be disingenuous. However, this is just factually true, that when you look at the the landscape of college football, you actually see a good number of receivers who've really achieved at a high level that were not elite recruits. Chris Olave from Ohio State, maybe one of the best in the country, not an elite recruit. Oklahoma has had a ton of these over the recent years under Lincoln Riley, even guys who are you know barely rated at all who've gone on to have great success. You know, not every receiver that's dominated for Alabama was a five star. You know, even they are a little bit of an example of that there too. That the receiver position is one of those positions that if you've got 
you know, a skill set to work with, you can be coached up. We've seen that happen before. And in the Todd Munkin offense now, that's what a guy like Dylan Bell is going to have a chance to do. This is a player that Georgia really likes and has chosen to bring in. And with that in mind as well, on the heels of, uh, of Bell coming in, there's also more chatter here about other names to consider there too. There's a guy named Griffin Scroggs, an offensive lineman from the powerhouse program in Georgia Grayson, who has up until recently was a Georgia Tech commit. Scroggs on Twitter as of late has announced a decommitment from the Yellow Jackets. I'll show you what he said here, thanking uh, Brent Key, the offensive line coach, and of course Jeff Collins, the head coach. But he says that he's decommitting from Georgia Tech. Uh, he wants to, you know, kind of move on and look about the rest of his football future. And there has been a lot of talk as of late that the next spot for Scroggs may be Georgia. That may come sooner rather than later. Back in June, by the way, when Scroggs uh, announced that he had gotten an offer from UGA, uh, one of the guys that has worked with him as his personal coach, Willie Anderson, you may remember from the Auburn Tigers football program. I think he also played the uh, NFL for the Bengals, a great, great offensive lineman for a long time. Uh, Anderson, who's worked with Scroggs, says that uh, he and another coach have been working with this kid since the ninth grade, yelling from the rooftop, any coach who will listen, that this dude's a beast. 6'5", agile, flexible, tough, and a winner. Uh, I told his family the way he works uh, uh, this day was uh, coming. So obviously, uh, Willie Anderson, the great former offensive lineman who now works with him as a personal coach, uh, celebrating the fact that uh, got the offer there from the University of Georgia. And a lot of folks think that the decommitment from Georgia Tech means that he's about to accept that offer from Georgia, maybe commit to the program. Once again, an example of you know kind of what we're seeing here which is that Georgia's making some interesting evaluations right now, giving some guys a chance to earn their way under this roster because of how they've worked hard and performed this summer, what they've shown over the course of their high school career. I've said before, I think these are great stories. I do like the idea of guys getting a chance to earn their way into a situation. That's what Dylan Bell may have done yesterday. That's what it seems like Griffin Scroggs on his way to doing right now. Uh, it's a little different kind of 2022 recruiting cycle for Georgia. I won't pretend that it's not. But certainly some uh, very impressive young men are making good on some high school and, and lifelong dreams right now. And certainly you love a chance to see that. So there is a lot going on right now with UGA recruiting. And obviously we'll try to follow it all and figure out what it all means as we head towards start a high school season coming up very, very soon. And guys like uh, uh, Griffin Scrogg is going to go out there and show on the field what they've been showing behind closed doors to these coaches so far this summer. That is Around the Doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And Georgia's own credit union has got such a great thing uh, that I want to make sure you know about right now. They're providing a great service to all their uh, clients anyway. And one of the great things they're doing right now is giving you a chance to get one of those Georgia's own Visa Signature and Platinum cards. Uh, so convenient. So many awesome opportunities with this. You can get uh, contactless payments, which makes this a very convenient way for you to pay each month. You can also earn flex rewards, which can be used for gift cards or travel, cash back even, merchandise, whatever. So many ways to do that. Plus, as a bonus, you can also earn up to $150 when you open one of these new Platinum or Signature cards. Of course, restrictions apply, so make sure you find out more about that. And the best way to find out about this is by checking out georgesown.org. That's georgesown.org, and you can find out all about those Visa Signature and uh, Platinum cards from our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. It's great to have them as a part of Around the Doghouse here today. All right, before we're done, bad news for one SEC power on the injury front. Also, a lot of continued fallout from the official announcement that Texas and Oklahoma at some point are on their way to the SEC. We'll cover that all today. We've got a funny golden shoe coming up there as well. But for now, on everything else related to the start of practice for the dogs, the current state of the 2022 recruiting cycle, and everything in between, let's talk to our buddy Connor Raleigh as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Connor Riley here. Kroger Fresh Take time with him. And there is a lot going on, whether it be the start of practice, very, very close on the way for the dogs, or a lot of movement right now with the 2022 recruiting class. In some cases, names that maybe weren't a big part of our chatter in the early stages here, but have worked hard, have earned their way into the to the field of vision for the Georgia coaches, and they're being honored for that. Connor, let me begin with that, if you don't mind. Dylan Bell yesterday, a guy that some of us have kind of have kind of gotten acquainted with pretty fast, an in-state guy like Griffin Scroggs, who's obviously now very much squarely, seemingly on the radar for UGA. 
What do you make of where things kind of stand with the 2022 class? It still feels like a little bit of a different kind of cycle than maybe we would have experienced pre-pandemic. Yeah, I think guys like Dylan Bell and guys like Griffin Scroggs are where you look at maybe Georgia's past track record and how they've developed lower-ranked recruits and judge from there what you think about them. I think with Dylan Bell, you look at the success of Donnie Mitchell, a guy that Dylan Bell knows, sort of we've seen so far. Maybe that gives you some encouragement about what we're going to continue to see out of the wide receivers going forward. Big-body guy, I think that's something Todd Munkin really likes and looks for in his wide receivers, and I think Bell can fill that need. With the offensive line, look, it was always going to be a really difficult recruiting cycle in terms of getting those high-end superstar prospects because they've recruited the offensive line so incredibly well for the last two cycles. So they're going to have to take some guys who might be a little bit more developmental and not quite ready to play right away. But you look at guys like Justin Schaefer, Warren Erickson, Solomon Kinley, guys who weren't highly rated rated recruits and still developed and have gone on to become big-time players for this Georgia program. And as I said a moment ago before you joined us, that I'm trying not to be a hypocrite on this because like one of the things that I get just ragged on all the time for is being a little bit of a stargazer, you know, four-star, five-star. We just like talking about those kinds of guys in the show. And frankly, we like mocking Florida and programs like that for not getting those kinds of players. I mean, we've... We've, we, we've cast a lot of lots in the direction of, you know, making a big deal about recruiting rankings. So at a time right now when Georgia seems to be trusting its own evaluations and not worrying too much about recruiting rankings, I can't all of a sudden pretend like I've never cared about recruiting rankings because clearly I have. But I, I do think it's a great story. If a guy like, you know, Griffin Scroggs, for instance, who we may be talking more about in the days to come, if a guy like that has had a dream of coming to Georgia and has whether it be with Willie Anderson, the great respected offensive line coach, former great offensive lineman, or in his own high school program. If a guy like that has worked his way to this point, that's still a great story. Even for somebody like me who almost never scrolls past like the top 100 names on the 24-7 sports composite player rating, you know that's still a great story when a guy like that puts in the work to get to this point because there are a lot of people who've tried to do that and you just can't get there you just can't get the attention that that you want either because god didn't bless you the right size or the whatever else or it's just hard to work hard enough to get a school like georgia to be interested so the fact that scroggs has or the fact that dylan bell has i think that says something pretty pretty uh, impressive about them yeah it's funny griffin scroggs checks a lot of boxes that i think older georgia fans would maybe have looked for in the past plays at Grayson high school yeah. uh georgia product a guy who, you know, might be a little bit better than his ranking sort of indicates. And so, you know, the the lower third here to take us inside baseball says, does UGA 2020 recruiting class have momentum? I guess in some way, yes, Georgia was always going to have to fill those spots. The th- again, the thing I look for going forward with this class is just going to be how do they close? How do they close with guys like Jaheim Singletary, who yeah. is now a, a five-star uncommitted prospect? How do they close with Travis Starr and Walter Nolan? Are they able to get a big-time receiver like Luther Burden as well? Because they're going to need, I think, a wide receiver to come in and play right away next year. And I don't necessarily know if Dylan Mellard and Alan Morissette fit that box, whereas I think a, a Luther Burden does. All right, so let's, let's say that for a second then. If we were going to talk about the top names – best of the best names that are out there for Georgia. It is Singletary now because he's back on the open market. Shaw and Nolan, we've talked about a ton. You can, I guess, include Barry Alexander still in that if you want to. Uh, for the sake of conversation, we'll put him in the in the pot here for a moment. Uh, you know, there is that little bit of chatter about Luther Burden, although admittedly <laughs> that seems to be more wishful thinking than, than maybe the not right now. The point is, if I give you that crop of like the elite names out there, which one of those do you believe right now is the most realistic for Georgia? And I'm honestly not sure who you're going to say. I hate that I'm saying this, but I think it might be Walter Nolan. <laughs> See, that's what scares me, because I think if you ask me to say that there as well, I believe I would say Nolan. And Nolan's recruitment's kind of been all over the place. I don't, I don't say that to disrespect him, but at one point in time, he's shutting it down. He's taken like 50 visits since then. Um, the fact that he may be the 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 best bet for Georgia makes you nervous because he's been a very difficult prospect to predict throughout all of this. You know, so the original final immunity challenge in Survivor, they would have to hold their hand on the immunity idol and whoever held their hand on it yeah. to the longest one. Whoever does that in the recruiting process is going to end up with Walter Nolan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like whoever is just willing to stick this out the longest, be the last one in the room, that's, I think, how Walter Nolan is going to end. And, and 
comparatively speaking here, yes, Alabama is a factor in that recruitment. He was at Texas A&M this weekend. But you look at the teams, you know, Georgia's going to have to go head-to-head with Clemson and North Carolina for Travis Shaw. They're going to have to flip Luther Burden from Oklahoma. Jaheim Singletary is a guy who was committed to Ohio State, and Ohio State's going to recruit him very hard. Miami is also a contender in his recruitment there as well. So looking at the other sort of challengers around as well, I think that does sort of factor into where Nolan ranks, at least on my board. And then obviously Bear Alexander, who I will note, did tweet out his Georgia offer for first. Seems very close to Gunnar Stockton. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I still think today he's going to end up at Texas A&M, but it's not over till he signs, and so, you know, who knows there. Part of my thing on the defensive line is is that Trey Scott has earned a lot of goodwill with me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could see Georgia getting shut out of the offensive line battles this time because they just are very deep at that position. I could see getting shut out on elite wide receivers. I would hate to see it, but I could see it because that's not a position that at Georgia that's quite as fully filled out as of yet. Trey Scott has won so many high-profile defensive line battles that the idea that he would miss on all of his top targets, I just kind of find that unlikely to believe. I, I just sort of feel like, and and you know, the Shaw thing for whatever reason, even though he's got the great relationship with Jalen Walker, the Shaw thing seems a little bit harder to me. Maybe more educated folks than me would correct me on that, and I'd be willing to, you know, face that rebuke if if so. But Nolan just feels a little bit more likely to me than Shaw, and. I don't really know why, but that's kind of the sense that I get. If Georgia's going to close on some of these guys, they need their recruitments to go as long as they can because I think that factors into Georgia A, showing how it develops. You know, Jordan Davis is a pass rusher. Jalen Carter in year two is a five-star prospect. Trayvon Walker is an edge defender. And then, two, if they're playing lo- if they're going longer in the season, Georgia's just, I think, going to be playing longer into the season if they're able to win an SEC championship or get into a playoff. Two things, I think. One of those two things they absolutely have to accomplish this season. And presumably if you win the SEC, you accomplish the second part of making the college football playoff. If Georgia does that, I think the recruiting stuff is going to take care of itself. It's just, I I think, compared to the first, I guess, five cycles of Kirby Smart's recruiting prowess, I think this is the year where on-field results matter, matter so much more than they have in the past just because there's a lot of things prospects need to see at the edge rusher position. They want to see Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson be fully unleashed. They want to see wide receivers... You know, I don't know if a thousand yards is what they want to see, but they want to see them prominently involved. And if Georgia's able to do that and showcase that on the field this season, I believe that the recruiting results, aka landing some of these big name prospects, are going to show up on National Signing Day. Let me ask you one more question about recruiting. Last week you talked about, and I actually got some folks that uh, kind of responded to me on this topic, but you talked about the need to flip big time players in order to get this class kind of back to that level that Georgia fans are accustomed to seeing UJ recruiting at. A similar question that I asked you a moment ago about the kind of the on the market five star type names. What's the biggest high profile flip that you see? I have one in mind, and I'm curious if yours is the same as mine. I mean, the easy one is just Michael Williams. That's the one from, I'm thinking about from Columbus, Georgia, currently committed to USC, but USC kind of on unstable ground as long as Clay Helton is the coach there. If things don't go well there at Southern Cali this year, you wonder if there's going to be a change and how might that impact Williams' statuses with his commitment. Georgia was a big factor in his recruitment for a while. If they can get him back on campus, even if he's still committed to USC, I think that is a positive sign there. Again, I'd mention I'd probably lump Bear Alexander in that situation as well, just given – you know, obviously the ties that he has to the Texas A&M program. Deion Bowie is a big name to know as well, though he is currently decommitted. And then you can say, I, I think, Jaheim Singletary now as well, cornerback out of the Jacksonville yeah. area who up until this weekend was committed to Ohio State. But if Georgia's able to land him and reel that fish in, I think that's just as big of a win as it would be flipping Williams from USC. I think you're right about that. I think Williams is a little bit more of a need now than maybe mm-hmm. he once appeared that he was going to be because if you think about him as more of a, like an edge rusher than a defensive yeah. lineman, guys like you know Danny He's not as big as Trayvon Walker but yeah. think of him in that sort of you know five technique role but you know you just kind of that edge rusher type guy is right now not in this class maybe Georgia thought they're gonna get Danny Dennis Sutton then it ended up or denied Dennis Sutton then ended up not working out and so a guy like Williams just seems like more of a need and if he gets that love from UGA I just nobody goes 3,000 miles from home and ends up being happy it just never happens do you it know just, who the last player from Columbus who went to USC was was it uh, Jarvis Jones? It was Jarvis Jones. Yeah, right. So, so you see how that all all, all works out. All right, uh, Kroger Fresh Take rolls on with uh, Connor Riley here for a moment. So I talked about JT Daniels off the top of the show and the 
you know, the the conflicting opinions that seem to exist about him. Chase Goodbread, who I think is a fairly respected voice. This is not just some enumerate sports writer. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, follows this stuff, you know, fairly closely. Um, you know, he really talks up JT Daniels. Pro Football Focus really kind of goes the other way on that. What do you make of, I guess, the prognosis for Daniels ahead of this season? He's clearly a very pivotal name for Georgia. I think it's fair to say that he is an unproven commodity on the basis of a season starting at USC and just four games there at Georgia. What can you say for certain about Daniels here at the moment? I agree with a lot of it. Uh, yes, he he again in games against South Carolina, Missouri, and Mississippi State, three past defenses that were all outside the top 80 last season. Yes, he played very well in those games, but he did not play well against Cincinnati. And I'm not saying he's not a good quarterback. I absolutely believe he is. But if Georgia's going to get to where it needs to go – he needs to be a top five quarterback in the country, and based off the incredibly small four-game sample size we saw a season ago, I don't know if he can get there. Now, that's not to say that he can, and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if he, if he does ultimately become that kind of player. We've seen lesser heralded guys, Matt Jones, Joe Burrow, make even bigger leaps to become that in recent seasons, but I, I certainly... Well, I don't fully endorse some of the criticism around Daniel, specifically from those pro football frauds. I do think that there is some things I want to see JT Daniels do and improve on, and we're going to get to see it in the first game of the season against Clemson. Yeah, I think that's you know pretty true there as well. And I'll also say this, is like Kirby has just, and I said this a moment ago, he's just treated JT so differently, even a year ago. With Jamie Newman, in comparison to what Georgia had at the time, a Daniels that was not healthy enough to play because he didn't play, uh, you know, uh, a guy like Dwan Mathis, who I'm not going to bash, but you know, was not quite you know ready to be a starting quarterback at a place like Georgia. Even in comparison to what Georgia had a quarterback a year ago, Kirby would would not show that kind of public faith in Jamie Newman a year ago, right? I mean, you know, very slow to say this is our starting quarterback, this is the guy that we're going with. But at every turn, you know, since Daniels has done what he did for Georgia when he played those games a year ago, Kirby has shown a lot of public faith. He has spoken about Daniels in a way that has made it obvious that Daniels is his starting quarterback. And Kirby hasn't always done that before. That at least means something to me. It doesn't guarantee that Daniels has the kind of season that Georgia needs for him to have to win a national championship, but it at least means something to me. I'd, I'd argue, other than after the Florida game in 2019, Kirby rarely showed this sort of public acceptance of a quarterback right. with, that he did with Jake Fromm right. that he has with JT Daniels. I think there's a, a very, Kirby has a very comfortable sense of what JT Daniels is and what he can do for this program. And because of that, I, I think he's also, again, this is his sixth season as a head coach. He has learned that, okay, maybe I can relax the reins on these quarterbacks a little bit, given they are already so developed when they come in here, just with the proliferation of seven-on-seven passing tournaments. So the game has changed quite drastically since Kirby Smart took over as head coach. And I think the way he has treated JT Daniels, the way he has publicly endorsed him, publicly pumped him up, I think that's probably shows a little bit of evolution on Kirby Smart's part of how he has handled the quarterback position at large. I also think this, with a you know set of statistics that suggest the door could swing either way for JT Daniels, to me it just puts the spotlight even more so on Todd Munkin. I think a great quarterback can be made average by an average offensive coordinator, and I think an average quarterback can be made great by a great offensive coordinator. I have always believed that Todd Munkin is more important for Georgia than JT Daniels, that Munkin makes Daniels for the good, for the bad, whatever else, that, that Steve Sarkeesian turned Mac Jones into the kind of quarterback that almost no one thought he would have been if he was not in that offense a year ago. I just think Munkin and the offense that he gives Daniels is more important than whatever Daniels gets out of what Todd Munkin provides for Yeah, him. you've always been – we've had this argument many mm -hmm. times. You're either a Joe Brady guy or you're a Joe Burrow right. guy. You are clearly on the side of Joe Brady. I'm a little bit more on the side of Joe Burrow just because I, I – while I certainly understand the points you're making and agree with a lot of them, Daniels is still going to be the guy making the throws at the end of the day, and ultimately that comes on him. And there are a couple areas where I think he can easily improve. You look at the downfield accuracy, ball placement, those are areas where if he gets just a little bit better, you think back to those two big throws in the Peach Bowl to Arian Smith and George Pickens. Well, yes, those are big plays. If those are a little bit better throws – those are touchdowns, and that's I think, and that's something you've mentioned time and time again this offseason. He needs to turn those type of plays, those plays that for last season against Missouri, South Carolina, Mississippi State, 
went for 20 to 30 yards. He needs to consistently turn those into touchdown-type plays. So I don't want to spend all day on this because you easily could, but if you look at Jones a year ago, 41 touchdowns, four picks. Go back and look at uh, Joe Burrow from a year ago, 60 touchdowns, six picks. I don't think that's realistic for, for JT Daniels. And I know that not everyone who's listening agrees with this, but I agree with this emphatically. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it. I can tolerate double-digit interceptions from JT Daniels if it means that he gets into that 40-plus turnover. I'm sorry, 40-plus. <laughs> excuse me. 40-plus excuse me, uh, touchdown range. I need big throws from Daniels. And I'll take the, the risk that goes along with that. You know, I just think it's unrealistic to say that someone would throw 60 touchdowns and only throw six picks or 40 touchdowns and only throw uh, you know four picks. I don't need that from Daniels. Daniels needs to throw more touchdowns. So that means you stick it into a tight window and it doesn't always work out. If Georgia's got a good defense, they ought to be able to bail you out. I can take a few more interceptions than what Burrow or, or, or um, uh, 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 Mac Jones threw if I can get like that 40-plus touchdown threshold, a number that I don't believe a Georgia quarterback's ever eclipsed. Right, and so, again, J.G. Daniels, I don't think he needs to be perfect. I don't even think with the talent that Georgia has on the rest of its offense and on the defensive side of the ball, he even needs to be the best quarterback in the country. But he needs, I think, to be better than what he showed in that Cincinnati game a season ago where there were some concerns out there because, well, yes, Georgia did win that game. It also needed a Jack Pudlesny 53-yard yeah. field goal at with six seconds left in the game. So it wasn't exactly a confidence-inspiring performance, but he's got a full offseason to get healthy, to work with the first-team offense, to actually go through offseason practice. And I think that continuity could play itself out to where he does end up making the leap that I think a lot of people expect him to make. And the Cincinnati team is going to be a preseason top-10 team. I would say that game is more good than bad for UGA, even though, admittedly, it was not perfect. i got one more thing I want to talk to you about before we're done here. Let me before that though remind folks this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here today and obviously a lot of folks have started back to school and my kids getting ready to do that same thing and I will tell you this I've had so many people in my community who have been frustrated not being able to you know you have like the list of like supplies you're supposed to get I've had a lot of frustration from people who've kind of gone to some of the, like the nationally known stores and they have not been able to find what they're looking for and I've had so many people tell me BA you know who had it Kroger Kroger has had it they have been stocked up on all the stuff that we've needed for back to school and that's not just like the pencils and the books and the crayons and everything else it's also like the stuff that goes in the lunchbox and the snacks gosh knows my kids eat snacks i swear um and, and thankfully kroger he keeps us well stocked and all that there as well so it's 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 big savings on all the stuff that you need to get back to school and and really have the start to a school year one that we hope is certainly more normal than the last couple have been uh you know the way to get that off to a great start is with our friends at kroger so check them out online kroger.com slash school kroger.com slash school and you can find out more about that connor i've kept you long so let me just do one more thing before we get ready to go so you wrote about this i found it fascinating there as well this is the second year in a row this has been true espn does their like position rankings for lack of a better thing from the historic perspective we talked yesterday about espn naming georgia linebacker university which is kind of a cool thing i mean that's a pretty good position to dominate given the impact that linebackers make on the field but most georgia fans think of georgia as running back university and yet espn only had georgia ranked ninth on the list i think they're even lower than that uh a year ago when they did this if memory serves i don't get this at all i know this kind of comes across like a homerish take you know why doesn't espn like my team I just don't get whatever empirical data you could could provide that would suggest that eight programs have been better in modern times at producing great running backs than Georgia has. You wrote about this. Do you have any better insight into like why ESPN doesn't seem to be all that impressed by Georgia's great legacy of running backs, even in modern times? Yeah, so I guess one, the first point I would point out at this point is they probably need to update the quote-unquote modern rankings because they go back to the start of the BCS era, which doing the math of, off the top of my head was 23 seasons ago. I, I think modern times probably needs to be updated to at least the past decade yeah. and keep that sort of moving on a, a sort of yearly function if I'm going to if I'm going to take these rankings more seriously. Second, do you know the last time Georgia has had an All-American running back? Um, I don't. All-American's a tricky thing for me because the country's so big. I'm assuming it's been a long time ago. No Sean Marino in 2008. Okay, yeah. And so that doesn't include guys like Nick Chubb, who just got paid, Todd Gurley, DeAndre Swift, Sony Michelle, guys who are all top 35 draft picks in mm. the NFL draft. So I, I can see how the points add up to them being ninth, but if you ask running backs where would you rather go play, Florida or Georgia, they're going to say Georgia. If you ask running backs where they'd rather go play, Florida or Auburn, 
LSU, uh, other schools that were ranked ahead of there. More often than not, they're going to say Georgia. And while ESPN has its ranking that it does, one, the draft success I think is going to continue this season. I think yeah. you're going to see Samir White and James Cook both be high draft picks. You're going to see guys like Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton also find a way to make an impact on this team. That's why Georgia's able to go out and get a guy like Jordan James and Branson Robinson in this upcoming recruiting class. So while I get the, the numbers that ESPN came up with, I would encourage them to maybe update their equation a little bit to rather take into how I think – the rest of the country, at least the people that matter most in college football, high school recruits, sort of view the running back position at large. Yeah, it's one of those things where, I mean, we have so many recruits, Kendall Milton comes to mind, Branson Robinson come to mind, that openly talk about Georgia running backs of the recent past as to why they went there. And, and Kendall Milton has always been very articulate. I remember the thing he said on the recruiting trail was that it impressed him that, that a lot of the guys that he would have mentioned were also also coached by Del McGee, that, right. that it wasn't just, hey, this is the school that Todd Gurley went to. No, it's, it's the school that Sony and, and Nick went to and DeAndre Swift, and those guys were all coached by the same running backs coach that's going to coach me, that this isn't just – Oh, I remember when Herschel Walker was at Georgia. I mean, like what they've done in like the last five and ten years has actually been really impressive. And you know, the idea that that Gurley wasn't one of the best to do it is, I mean, pretty ludicrous. Which I know you agree with. Yeah. I, again, I just if Todd Gurley doesn't get suspended in 2014, yeah. he makes an All American team. He wins the Heisman, in my opinion. You know, if Nick Chubb doesn't have a horrific knee injury in 2015, he probably goes on to have an All American career. And maybe Mark Rick, the head coach of Georgia, for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So I. You know, circumstances have led a number of things. And I would point out under Kirby, too, he hasn't sort of said, hey, you're a Najee Harris. We're going to give you the ball until you throw up. They've always sort of had a balanced yeah. rushing attack back there. I think they're going to do that again this season. And so I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if Georgia doesn't have even an all-SEC running back at the end of this season. But that just goes to show, I think, more the depth that they have in this running back room because I absolutely believe in terms of talent and production Zamir White is going to be one of the best running backs in the SEC I think James Cook is going to be a game-breaking offensive player for Georgia this year if they're committed to using him properly and again Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh the fact that those guys are third and fourth third and fourth running backs just goes to show the unbelievable depth that Georgia has at this position Connor great stuff appreciate you being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take today we got a lot more we'll be reading from you as practice gets ready to begin here this week I know you'll have some great insight on that we'll look forward to speaking to you soon as well Yep, as always, was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Really good stuff from Connor Riley there. We're going to get into our SEC Through. A lot going on around the league right now that needs to be addressed, so we'll do that. First, though, let me give a shout-out to my friends at the Finish Long Drink. I tell you, I love the fact that so many of you are telling me how much you're enjoying this, especially during that hot time of year. I got a great tweet from our buddy Matt Forshe on Twitter to let us know that he's enjoying this as well. He says, I finally gave him to BA suggestion, went out and got some finished long drink. It's perfect for pool time when the heat index is 109. It's been so hot. And that finished long drink tastes really good and cold in that can at the pool when it is so hot. By the way, look at Matt going the long drink strong with the black can, 8.5% alcohol by volume. You love to see that. Uh, That's a great thing. We appreciate uh, Matt and all of you who've given uh, our friends at the finished long drink a try there as well. And, you know, you've got all kinds of varieties you can try there as well. It's uh, the long drink cranberry, the long drink strong, as we told you about. There's long drink zero. There's the original that kind of comes in the blue can, which I like. It's like a citrus soda with like a gin kick. It's like a gin and and grapefruit juice type mixed drink. It's ready to drink right out of the can. Very easy to enjoy. Just pop the top and you're in the midst of enjoying it, right? They have no work to do. No, no drinks to mix you don't have to be a professional mixologist to get it done you can just you just enjoy it pop the top and enjoy it a lot of you obviously wanted to try this there as well i was uh at east lake golf club the other day they had long the finished long drink right there um at the halfway house and you know so many of the other golf courses around where i live kind of have that of course a lot of the bars in athens and really a lot of the beverage stores now pretty much everywhere you want to go so if you go to the longdrink.com that's the uh, longdrink.com. You can actually find out where you can pick yourself up some finished long drink and enjoy that there today. All right, SEC through time here for a moment. Let's bounce through some of the news here. So there was a pretty wild day as of yesterday. There's a radio host up in uh, Clemson area. His name's Mark Ryan, and he tweeted out that a source had told him that uh, basically the SEC had been in contact with both Florida State and Clemson, and there was you know uh chatter about would they be joining the sec or not and this was kind of a big deal for a while 
everybody kind of ran with that. And then you had the firefighters running in there to kind of correct the record on all of that. And it really reminds me of what we said yesterday, which is that, and a lot of folks have been doing some interesting, you know, social media posting on this as of late, that I think a lot of people were saying on the heels of Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC, well, obviously the next big domino is going to fall here pretty quickly. But the more and more you get into this, the more you realize that no some of those dominoes may not fall quite as quickly as you think that the acc which you call the grant of rights agreement which for lack of a better phrase is its media rights deal extends well into the 2030s like what 2035 2036 some number like that and really those acc teams can't easily get out of that contract unless the entirety of the league dissolves which is not an impossibility but not likely to happen so the notion that you're going to have an acc team bolting from the acc anytime soon that's not necessarily going to be the case. I mean, for a school like Maryland that left the ACC, they had to pay $50 million to do so. I guess my understanding is since they've been in the Big Ten, they have never gotten a full share of the TV money they're supposed to get because it's almost like when you you know finance some automobile or something that they're still paying that you know exit fee back. You know, financially, losing $50 million hurt Maryland a little bit, um, and they're still kind of feeling the effects of that. These ACC teams, assuming the ACC is going to exist, it's just not easy to get out of that ACC agreement, and it's the longest of the TV deals that are out there well into the 2030s. Same thing for Notre Dame there as well. That on the basis of this deal, Notre Dame's cooperative agreement with the ACC prevents them from joining any other league other than the ACC during the span of this grant of rights agreement. So that doesn't seem like it's going to be happening anytime soon. Then you've got the idea of both Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC and how soon some of that kind of stuff might happen. All of a sudden, there's some kind of smart chatter out there that that while they are obviously coming to the SEC, the notion that that's happening sooner rather than later maybe that's not quite the uh case on some of this kind of stuff anyway because cbs is kind of being pointed to on this and unless cbs is ready to get out of the game early remember cbs part of the issue that they had with the sec to begin with was is that cbs didn't give a boost to the sec's tv contract when it added missouri and texas a.m the last time basically they said okay great for doing that but our contract would use the same because cbs was already in all 50 states as it was there was no additional value to them at least they thought in their mind so cbs likely won't be ponying up more money for uh texas and oklahoma their lame duck contract anyway so all of a sudden you start to see well this acc expansion rating the acc that may not may not happen texas and oklahoma leaving the big 12 right away there may not be much of a financial motivation to do that prior to the expiration of the uh, grant of rights from the big 12 so I think smarter people now are kind of stepping up to say, slow down on everything you think is about to happen in college football in terms of the SEC growing by leaps and bounds beyond Texas and Oklahoma, Texas and Oklahoma playing in this league as soon as 2022. Obviously, I can't say with certainty what's going to happen, but there are a lot of smart people right now discussing why some of this is going to happen a lot slower then maybe you might think it's going to. By the way, speaking of the SEC and its scheduling on the heels of adding Texas and Oklahoma, Ross Dellinger, who's always a great reporter, had some very interesting stuff at Sports Illustrated yesterday about the what he calls a conundrum related to how you schedule the new SEC. And, you know, obviously the you know, the haves, the have nots, and you know, what the schedules look like, how you create that balance. Obviously, there's been some chatter about, you know, going to the pod system where you're playing other opponents more frequently uh the one thing that you do take away from this is is um that they, there's a desire for what, what he calls a loud chorus coming from both espn within the league that they're that the uh, the format for the schedule is in for an overhaul uh one of the things that's been talked about is certainly the ninth conference game dellinger writes at sports illustrated that many believe there's an appetite in the league to add a ninth conference game the 10-game conference only late last fall has been described as a smashing success, especially for the TV partners. Not only does it guarantee eight more conference games, but with two new Blue Bloods entering the league, it guarantees more big-time matchups for a, a linear product that's uh, losing subscribers. So the one thing you can certainly see here is the idea of adding a ninth uh, game to the schedule, which is going to be weird because that means, and, you know, and I guess the, the NFL's about to have the same thing happen there as well as they move to an odd 
scheduled number there. You're going to have more home games and more road games in different years. But that's the one change from a very good story from Ross Dellinger that you might see. Not, this is not necessarily surprising to anybody, but the SEC moving to a potentially a nine-game conference schedule when they add these other two teams officially. One of the teams that's obviously always a big factor in scheduling because they are a tough opponent is LSU. LSU, however, got bad news yesterday. And I hate this for the young man, and I also hate this for the drama that was potentially building. I had been a big believer that for the Tigers this year, Max Johnson was going to eventually be the starting quarterback, and I was frankly curious to see if I was going to be right about that. If what Johnson showed at the end of last season was going to be enough for him to overtake Miles Brennan, who at one point in time prior to an injury would have been the LSU quarterback for our last season. We'll never know the answer to that. Miles Brennan has broken his arm. Now he's going to be out for the 2021 uh, season here for LSU, going to be forced to have surgery and everything else. And obviously they're in Baton Rouge, you know, the Brennan family pretty deeply tied to the LSU program. Uh, there are a lot of folks at LSU wonder, will they ever even see Miles Brennan as a starting quarterback at LSU, given the fact that he's just had a hard time staying healthy here, the latest example of that. So this is some quarterback depth that is eaten into a little bit for LSU. Max Johnson may have still been the LSU starting quarterback. All of a sudden now, though, you start thinking about a guy like Brennan, who may have been a very capable backup. Now, if you're LSU, you're thinking about somebody different, whether it be Garrett Nussmeyer, probably the you know impressive incoming freshman quarterback. He may be tabbed in that role. You'll remember that T.J. Finley, who got some experience starting for LSU a year ago, has now moved on to Auburn. So LSU, which at one point in time seemed fairly deep at the quarterback spot, all of a sudden now that t- depth takes a big hit after the injury from Miles Brennan. And then finally, I wish I had all the audio and stuff to play for you. It's one of those things that's a little bit convoluted to get into, but there was a hearing in the Texas legislature yesterday with like the president university of Texas is basically to kind of find out what was going on with uh, Texas moving on the sec. It's like one of these sort of classic political grandstanding things. I don't think there was really anything that was ever going to come from that. It was just something the politicians wanted to do, but some of this stuff was so funny, whether it be like one of the, the legislature legislators kind of deadpanning about Texas moving on to the sec. Cause they're basically tired of getting beat by TCU. They'd rather lose to Alabama than lose to TCU. Uh, some other university figures kind of talking about how you know Texas. Uh, some people think they think too highly of themselves. They actually don't think highly. You know they think too lowly of themselves. Basically saying they have low self esteem. There was some really strong stuff in all of this. Always great drama at the intersection of Texas football and politics. Yesterday was a really pretty good example of that. Very funny stuff. Uh, I'll put a link to maybe some of this kind of stuff when I post the show. But uh, pretty funny stuff yesterday as Texas got raked over the coals for its decision to leave the Big 12 and go on to the SEC by the uh, Texas legislative body. Uh, Pretty interesting stuff there with that. We'll make that your SEC through. I guess the other thing that came from that, no big surprise, is that Texas at least had internal discussions about other leagues other than the SEC, possibly the ACC, possibly the Big Ten. Probably shouldn't be surprised about that, but ultimately, clearly, they made the decision that the pursuit of the SEC was the best for them, and obviously made sense for the SEC to get involved in that situation there, too. How about our Gator Hater roll call right now? We'd love to give out a golden shoe for those who mock the Gators in a great way, and our buddy Forestry Dog, who always posts his content in the comment section at dognation.com, has got a great one. We showed yesterday the very silly video of Dan Mullen dancing. Forestry Dog, and frankly, my screenshot of this doesn't do it justice because uh, what he put at dognation.com is fully animated. It's Mullen dancing. He's got the big uh, clown shoes on, which you can't see from that. Clown face, clown hair. Forestry Dog is one of our better ones. That's great, great stuff from Forestry. Good job, Golden Shoe winner for today. But a Gatorator countdown, 88 days from right now, dogs get some revenge over the Gators. We'll see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time to have the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down, where we'll take some of your comments, whether you send them to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in our comment section at dognation.com. I got an interesting one here from Doug Maddox on Twitter, who has a graphic of basically kind of like a tournament for college football. He's got a Rose Conference and a Sugar Conference. Where in the Rose North, you've got Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin. In the West, you've got USC, Stanford, Oregon, UCLA. East, he's got Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa, Nebraska. South, he's got LSU, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Missouri. That's a pretty interesting division. In his Sugar Conference for the North, he's got Clemson, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Kentucky. For the West, he's got Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. For the East, he's got Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. For the South, boy, that's... (laughs) 
Talk about feasting on a division. Georgia would be eating that one for lunch. And then for the South portion of his Sugar Conference, he has uh, Florida, Florida State, Miami, UCF. First of all, I like the idea of like the Sugar Conference. That just kind of sounds – that's a nice name. It's also an interesting workup that uh, that he's done here on Twitter, Doug has done. I think one of the things that you see from this is while not everybody is excited about conference expansion and like like massive change to college football – like the one thing that I do think from comments like this is I think you do see a desire to have a little more cross-sectional type matchups taking place, more chances for teams from the southeastern part of the country to play teams outside the region. There's obviously a lot of interest when Georgia did that with Notre Dame in 2017-2019. And, you know, if I think about, oh, you know, college football, I'm a traditionalist, I, I like the way the sport used to be. Well, it's fair to point out that the way the sport used to be, that didn't exist at all. And so – for someone like me who is always hypersensitive to all the ways in which college football is changing for the worse, I mean, it is important to note the ways in which the sport is changing for the better. And the fact that we do have, you know, more of those kinds of games late in the season, postseason, during the season than we ever would have had before, that's a good thing for college sports. And it's the kind of thing that would not have existed in the past. I think that's probably, you know, pretty fair to bring up. And, you know, creative endeavors like this you know i kind of call it fantasy booking this kind of fantasy booking gives you an idea that there are some fans who want to see more of that in the future timothy 1952 writes in to say uh, that we talked yesterday on the show about georgia being linebacker university according to to espn timothy writes in to say that uh georgia is one of the best linebacker programs in the nation for 60 years he says lbu i don't know but i don't care you know we said this yesterday that if you had to pick something to be great at for a long period of time, like linebackers is a cool thing to be great at, right? I mean, I think about like the Chicago Bears for a moment. I realize the Bears have only won one Super Bowl, but they're also kind of thought of as like one of these like sort of salt of the earth pillars of the NFL. And part of that is because of like their great legacy of linebackers, you know, uh, Brian Urlacher and Dick Butkus and Mike Singletary and you know names like that it seems like the bears kind of roquan smith is that, that guy now it seems like they've always got like a great linebacker and that's just kind of a cool thing i don't know it just feels like football if you've always got a great linebacker i've always you know i just think that's a it's just a good thing to have as a part of your football resume and the fact that georgia has had that for as long as it has the more modern stuff that espn celebrates but you could go through the years with a lot of great names for georgia over the course of time Hard to be a great football program if you don't have a history of great linebackers because of all the ways in which they're impactful. And obviously for Georgia this season, as we said yesterday, you know, the Nicope Deans, the Nolan Smiths, the Adam Andersons, a lot of that fate for Georgia here this year will certainly rest on how well they perform this season. And obviously that's why the outlook is as high as it is. So very interesting stuff. We appreciate your comments. Thanks for being here for our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at DogNationDaily or in the comments section at DogNation.com. We'll read those right here for you during this portion of the show. And, of course, we'll be back tomorrow for more Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We will look forward to seeing you then.